The Apprenticeship of Giuseppe Lupo Written by Yusuf L. Deeb Narrated by Jason Melnichuk Chapter 2 The Ink of Life As life begins to settle in Europe, the slow reconstruction phase begins. All the wartime labor and refugee camps are now heading for closure, but the rebuilding of Italy is snail-slow and inflation runs rampant not helped by the newly minted Allied military currency. With her daily Caprizi sandwich distribution ritual, Violetta is a favorite amongst the guards at the labor camp for German POWs. Times are tough. Now alone, with her husband sacrificed in the war, she does not see a way for her boy Gio to have a decent life. So when that benevolent Canadian soldier offers Violetta a letter of safe passage for one person on the next departing refugee ship, she does not hesitate. Burdened by the loss of her husband and the death and destruction of her Italy, she has seen enough and yearns for an escape, not for her, but for her son. Canada seems a blessed, perfect destination. Her uncle, Flavio, has emigrated there before the war. Despite her knowledge that she would miss her little Gio, her wish for him to flourish is much greater than that pain. There is a golden opportunity on that ship, and she will follow him there one day. Looking back at the small village church, Gio makes a note of the sign at the gate, Chiesa della Vergine Maria. He makes a mental note of its whitewashed walls and humble turret. In his boyish mind, he promises himself to remember to return the money the priest gave him one day, no matter how long it takes him, however far he journeys. He plods on, in his pocket, the letter and the twenty liras. These unusual square liras are from a special minting. These allied military currencies were prepared in lira, francs, kroner, marks, shillings and yen for use in countries to be invaded or liberated. They are all the same in appearance to facilitate production, a typically efficient military decision. They are also all in English and carry a special message on the back, which must have gone unread by many of the people the money was intended for, but did not speak any English. The glorious message that fell on deaf ears was freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom from want, freedom from fear. For now, young Gio also does not understand these words, much less the idealistic concepts they proclaim. One day, he will. The sun is slowly setting as he pedals down the narrow roads that hug the farms. All around him is that vibrant, fresh-after-rain green. Ahead of him, he sees a pinhead-sized light in the dusky sky. Whichever way he travels, he feels this tiny light following him, always shining on him and him alone. He thinks that it's carrying a message and quickly realizes that this is the first time in his life he has ever been alone. Totally alone. Ahead of him, there is nothing but the void of alone. So this what it feels like to be alone. He doesn't know yet that this light in the sky will be the first of many sightings. This heavenly light would oversee him on his long life journey, but he doesn't know it yet. One day, 
when he is old enough to know, he would realize that it's the planet Venus. Tonight, it's just a very special star. His star. As darkness falls, he finally sees his destination ahead of him. The bright searchlights outline the gate to the Asara Displaced Persons Camp. The camp is a beehive of activity. Trucks and buses are lined up to enter through a checkpoint at the gate. Here and there, soldiers run and bark orders. The smell of kerosene is everywhere. Geo rides up to one of the uniformed armed guards. The guard looks down, sees him and laughs. Well, well, there we are, another straggler. Come here, boy. Geo props the bike with one leg and searches for the letter in his pockets. He remembers the lines that his mother taught him for this moment. Good morning. My name is Giuseppe Lupo. He stutters, trying to recall the rest of the memento his mother had helped him memorize. She was reading to him from the note she had made from the advice she got from the lieutenant. Now it sounded funny coming through Gio's lilting, Italian voice. Morning. The soldier laughs at this odd boy. No, it's evening. Good evening. He animates the word for Gio to understand. Evening. Evening, repeats Gio. That's right, young man. What can I do for you, my little paisan? Gio finally finds the letter and raises it to the soldier to show him he has something for him. He unwraps it and gives it to him. Let me see here. What is this? The guard reads the letter and hurriedly looks up and finger whistles to the distance. Hey, he shouts. Hey, dog face. Over by an idling bus, a rifle-carrying soldier looks up and nods back. You that convoy for the Aeda? The gate guard calls. The bus soldier nods back. Yeah, what you got there? We got here one more super special first-class passenger to the great and promised land. The gate guard shouts back. The bus guard gives him the finger. You see that? That's how many seconds he has to get his ass on this here bus before it guns it to the port. Get over here, boy. The gate guard kneels down to Gio and hands him back the letter. Giuseppe, you go on there. He points to the bus, and I'll see you in Canada. And hey, welcome home. He takes the bike from Gio. I'll take this here. Carry your suitcase and go. Quick. That bus is your ticket to Canada. It just so happens that since Gio is designated an orphan by the way of the letter of introduction, and being the only orphan on the ship, he receives very special treatment. He gets to sleep alone. He becomes quickly accustomed to sleeping in a hammock in a makeshift room all to himself down in the hold of the ship. Despite the constant hum and vibration of the engine room below, it's his good fortune that the hammock is latched among the boxes in the food rations storage compartment next to the galley. The room reeks of the smell of cork from the crates of beer bottles. On this Atlantic crossing journey, his simple, naive world is changed forever. Now he sees for his first time the modern world, one that is so different from his mama's kitchen and the farms of Naples. Ounces and inches weights and measures, 
he is fascinated that everything is portioned and accounted for. Tins of delicious corned beef, bottles of a fizzy drink called Coca-Cola that always fills his throat, chocolate bars wrapped in wax paper labeled Hershey's for the war effort. But his favorite is that tin he gets, one per day, smuggled by way of Corporal Frank, the chef-soldier who has taken a liking to him. Each tin is labeled Armed Forces Field Ration. The contents are neatly printed on the tin. Two and a half ounce biscuit. One ounce confectionery. Half ounce sugar. Quarter ounce soluble coffee. Key on bottom. Geo's world is now expanded endlessly by the concept of limits, that of measuring and measurements. In the room, his surroundings are all about measures and labels. He spends his days discovering and reading. Numbers and letters are everywhere. Cartons are labeled with names, quantities, weights and expiration dates. Then on the inside of the cartons are tins or packets that are similarly labeled. Information is everywhere. Geo's mind is being reorganized and reprogrammed from the wild to the planned, measured and accounted for. One day, Corporal Frank leaves him a dozen tattered Life and McLean's magazines from the mess hall. Here, little guy, these'll help you learn some English. Now Geo sees a world beyond his wildest imagination. He spends his days by the smell of the ink on the magazines, looking at pictures of skyscrapers, cherubic, joyful people, mostly couples, and healthy, playful animals. But it's the advertisements that shake him deeply. The models are tall, picture-perfect, happy and languid, seemingly in heaven. Leaning close to the pictures in these magazines, he falls asleep, and the printer's ink becomes indelible in his mind, permanently associated with exciting, better, dreamy days. He dreams a fantasy, and in it, he dreams himself one of them. In one of the magazines, he sees a map of the world. He looks for Italy, then Naples, and fear sweeps into his soul when he realizes how small he really is in this newly charted universe. He is now eating well, and in the month-long sale, he grows two inches. His clothes are now hugging him, and this reminds him of his mother. She would have taken care of this. Remembering his mother Violetta, he writes her a letter on the back of a Hershey's chocolate wrapper. He has no way of sending it, and keeps it with him. A few days later, he writes her another letter. Soon, as the naval destroyer HMCS Hyada approaches Halifax, he has 26 letters hidden in his hammock, tied up with a rubber band like gangster money. <laughs>